0: Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon from First Reformed Church in Edgerton, Minnesota. Each week, we dig into God's Word, trusting that the Holy Spirit will continue the good work of sanctification in us. We've all desired something, and we have desired it very, very deeply. This is a natural human emotion. It is a natural part of the human experience, And these longings that we can often have, have a tendency to consume our thoughts. And they can become our focus. And often this goes beyond just what we think about, right? These desires can often end up actually directing our lives because this is what we want the most. And it basically charts the course, creates the path of where we direct our lives. Many times, even without us realizing it. Because it frames not only how we think, but these longings and these desires cause us to act in this different way. These yearnings often also shape our loves and the paths of our lives soon follow. And this is why it's so important that we're mindful of our thoughts, that we're mindful of these things that we desire. And this has been true through all times. True in the past, true in the present, will be true in the future. But as I was pondering this concept, as I was thinking about our longings and our loves, I was once again drawn, as I have been many times during our series here in the Psalms, been drawn to Thoughts about the affluence of our age. Very rarely are the things that we aspire to, very, very rarely are the things that we long for, things that we actually need. They're, they're not necessities, are they? Because we rarely find people in our culture whose deepest longings are for their next meal or for simple, simple shelter, right? Right? Not all, but many of our longings are for things that we don't really need. But they're things that we want. And and while there's nothing inherently wrong with desiring something other than three square meals and a non-leaking roof over your head, those things and our desires for these things that we don't need can do something to us that's not productive. Because we can easily think... That whatever it is that we desire, whatever this thing, that, this thing that we're longing for, we can start to believe that that's what we need to finally be truly happy. We think that's what will cause us to be fulfilled finally. And that's what I mean when I say that these desires can shape our loves because we end up directed towards something that can't fulfill us, that can never truly satisfy us. And As we continue to look at different psalms this summer, we find ourselves here today in Psalm 42. Now, earlier, we did look at this psalm a little bit because when we were in Psalm 43, we found that the two are deeply connected. And we really looked at the second half of Psalm 42 to sort of understand the problem that the psalmist was having in chapter 43. But this week, we're looking at Psalm 42 with a different emphasis. And we're going to be looking and thinking about the desire that the psalmist has for connection, for intimacy with God, and how he realizes that this is a necessary desire. Now, I've drawn out in the psalms most weeks, and in the midst of the struggles that the psalmist have they turn to god they don't reject him they instead turn to him no matter what is happening no matter where they believe the problem is coming from they turn to god because they know they understand that he is the only remedy for the problems that plague them god is all they got he's their only hope and so let's dig into the longings of the psalmist here in chapter 42 this morning as we look at verse 1. And this verse that we see here today is, is one that we're likely very familiar with, a popular praise chorus. I'd like to think it wasn't that long ago that it came out, but it was a long time ago. Let's be honest. Let's stop and think about it. It's really popular. It's, it's so popular. I mean, I don't listen to it or listen to that type of music but I know it so well that I just about read the psalm wrong or I did start to read the psalm wrong because the words to that song came out of my mouth instead of the words on the page in the Bible. I mean, we all know it really well. Without thinking too hard, you could probably hum that tune and you're, it's probably going through your head as the deer pants for the water, right? And the reason this connects with us isn't because the song was masterfully made. Maybe it was. I mean, that's, that's up for opinion, but I think the reason we know this so well is because this is powerful imagery for us. And as we slow down and think about the image being painted for us, we get the idea that this is an image of an animal with a necessity, with a need. A deer that is desperately in need of water. And we see here that the deer pants and this gives us the idea that this is more than just a desire it's a desperate need the longing for god expressed by the psalmist here is a deep need this isn't a deer that hasn't had a drink in an hour or so and so so it's going to track down a stream to keep its whistle wet right there is panting here and, and you can picture this An animal clearly in need of water, wandering about and nearly stumbling because it so badly needs this life-sustaining water. And this longing is expressed as a thirst. And it's a poetic device that's very helpful. And it's super easy for us to understand here. This, again, is an image we can see in our minds. You may have an experience of extreme need for thirst in just the last week or so there was extreme heat right you probably had a point where you're like i really need a drink if you went outside at all and even if you did have this experience or even if you didn't have an experience outside if you don't drink for a long time you feel that need right this is a not only an experience that an animal has we have this as humans and so we can sort of feel this imagery now even if you didn't have a Point where you really, 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 really need a drink in this past week. You have had that at some point in your life. Most of us have probably never been to the point where needing a drink was life threatening, I'm guessing, but you have been thirsty enough that you can understand why not having water is life threatening, right? We can feel this image. And the image here isn't one of, hey, you, you know, God, I just need a little bit of you to give me a little boost. Or it isn't like, hey, I'm going to grab something at a convenience store and have a bottle in the car while I'm driving because I, I might need something to sip on. I might need something if I get a little bit thirsty later. That's not the imagery here, is it? It's an imagery of absolute need, a desperate need. And so we get this idea driven home for us as the psalmist uses this device of repetition here in verse two. We see my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And and this repetition of the thirst uh, is not only a idea of who that the idea of thirst but also who the psalmist is thirsting for right he thirsts for the living god again we see that the psalmist is desiring the god who is the only one who can provide help the living god the living god not the idols of their pagan neighbors who thirst but never find water through their idolatry the living God, Yahweh, the Lord, the giver of life. Israel worshipped him, and it was important. And in this last half of verse 2, we get a glimpse of the problem here. And the thirst imagery that we see in this passage gets illumined a little bit better for us today. Because the psalmist is asking when he shall come and appear before God. So the idea here is that something has been keeping the writer of this psalm from Jerusalem and from worship in the tabernacle or in the temple. So like I said, this expands the imagery that we've seen so far. It gives us the idea that there's a drought. And so as we read this, it causes us to see the imagery of the deer a little bit differently as well, doesn't it? This isn't a deer that just doesn't know where the streams are and is panting for them. If it's a time of drought, it's in a desperate search for any water that can help sustain its life. So we've already seen that the situation is a desperate one, but this idea of a prolonged absence from worship in the temple or in the tabernacle helps us to get what is going on with this desperation for water. Now you and I, Naturally, are going to read this psalm in our context, right? That's what we're going to do. And we have access to the Bible in a moment. Even if we don't have an app on our phone to read the Bible anytime we want, we can find the Bible pretty much anywhere. We have multiple copies wherever we, you know, in our homes or we know people who do. And let's say another example here. If, if we... Don't have access to our church here. Most places we go, you can find a church in the United States, right? Maybe even without having to put church in Google Maps. There's that many churches in our country. We are used to the idea of being near to the word of God and being near to worship. You and I read these statements with a new covenant set of eyes. With the idea of Christ as our mediator That's our bias as we read it. But we're not going to understand the desperation and this drought idea that the psalmist is experiencing here unless we remember the centrality of the temple in the Old Covenant. The temple was where the glory of God resided. The psalmist is kept from that. And he longs to go back to Jerusalem, to be near the temple. And we see How much this is a longing for him when we see him that his tears have been his food day and night in verse three. And now, obviously, this phrase is hyperbolic and it's poetic language, right? But it helps us to understand just how much grief the psalmist is experiencing being away from Jerusalem and away from the temple, away from the presence of the Lord. And I'm drawn to this image, uh, not just because it's vivid. And I think that we have all been to the point where we've been crying and we've tasted the saltiness of our tears. And and, and it kind of surprises us, right? You didn't know you were crying that hard. And so we not only feel this image in our being, like the weeping, I think we can easily imagine and feel that in our face. We can feel that image, but we can also taste it, right? Right? And so the psalmist lets us know that this is all amplified by the oppression of those who oppose him. They're mocking him. And clearly, this is a problem for the psalmist that is known publicly. This problem, this feeling away from God, is something that the people around him know. And to multiply his grief, people are asking him, Why isn't your God rescuing you from this situation where you've been exiled from God. And in the midst of this oppression, the psalmist remembers his involvement in the worship of God. So we see something about the psalmist in verse 4. It's clear that the one who wrote this psalm had involvement in the worship in Jerusalem. And during this time of being separated from where that worship took place, he's recalling it, he's remembering it, we read that he would lead the throngs of people in procession to the house of God in verse 4. Right here, I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping the festival. He was involved in the leading of worship in some way. And notice here something important for us to understand. What he longs for is not just an individual experience. It's not just something for him. What is he doing? He's leading throngs and multitudes and they're keeping the festivals. Remember, being kept from Jerusalem not only means he doesn't have access to the temple, but he also does not have access to the festivals and to the community of believers that gathered for them. And I believe in our time, we have a very individualistic idea of faith, don't we? We read about the groanings of the psalmist here, and we assume that it's, it's all about himself and the individual feeling that he has in being separated from God. But notice it's also about his being separated from the community of faith and the corporate worship of God, right? This isn't just about him and his time with God. It's about being in the presence of God with the people of God. He's being separated not only from God, but from God's people. It's not not just that he isn't around other people, that he doesn't have his friends to be around, but that they aren't participating together as the community of faith in the worship of God, the God who has called his people by name. And so we see his response in verse 5 and this is essentially the chorus of both psalm 42 and verse 43 it appears a total of three times in two chapters and it's two of those times we read in psalm 42 and so the question asked is an interesting one why are you cast down well, we know why he's cast down. He's given us plenty of reasons to be cast down. He thirsts for God. He's being kept from Jerusalem and from the worship and from the festivals that take place there. He's not able to participate in these things with the community of faith. Then on top of it all, on top of it all, those people around him aren't sympathetic about how he's feeling like at all. They're mockingly asking him, Where is your God? Where is he? If he's so great, why isn't he rescuing you? He's lined out many reasons for his soul to be cast down. We can understand why his soul should be in turmoil within him. But yet, what do we see? There's an acknowledgement of the truth that God is faithful and that there's reason for hope. And that hope is in God. And the truth that Yahweh shows steadfast love to his people and that he is their salvation. And this is the psalmist's source of peace in the midst of all of these longings for God and in the face of the depression that he's clearly being affected by as he's absent from Jerusalem and absent from worship with the people of God. He has seen the faithfulness of God and he knows that he will continue to be faithful to him into the future. He trusts in the faithfulness of God and in his steadfast love. And as I mentioned when we were before I read uh, this passage, we're going to stop with this verse and what we're looking at today because we've previously looked at the end of the chapter when we looked at Psalm 43 and because I want our emphasis here to be this longing for God and the answer to those longings that the psalmist gives as we think about the theme that comes out for us from the beginning of this passage. As I dwelled upon this passage this week and let it ruminate in me, I came away significantly convicted this week because of the longing that the psalmist had for God. As I talked about, as I opened this morning, when we live in a time of unparalleled affluence, we we tend to long after things that we really don't need. And we find ourselves thinking that we can find our satisfaction in those pursuits. But we're not gonna find our satisfaction in those things. They can never satisfy. We will remain thirsty if we think that that is our source of water. Our quest for happiness Our quest to be fulfilled will only continue the drought that we feel if it's not a desire for the living God. Now, we may get a short little cloud burst that makes us feel like we're actually having some sort of joy. But the longings that we have for satisfaction, they're never going to be fulfilled by the things of this world. They can never truly satisfy what we're longing for. We will stay in a drought unless we are pursuing God. And as we consider this passage, we have a great blessing as the people of God in Christ Jesus. Because the psalmist here in in chapter 42 is longing to go before God and to return to Jerusalem and to the temple. That's what he's longing longing to do. But we don't have to go to a place to go before the presence of God because we have the Lord Jesus Christ interceding for us right now at the right hand of the Father. We have access to God in a way that the psalmist did not. He needed to go to Jerusalem, to go to the festivals, to offer sacrifices. But we have a sacrifice that has already been offered for us. We have access to God through the Lord Jesus Christ in any moment. Because Jesus is interceding for us. In Christ, we have access to God and we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. When we feel as though we're in a season of drought, we can know, we can know that we have access to the living water of Jesus. And he truly unlocks this psalm for us. Because we can go to him. The reason we can do this is because when our souls are cast down or when we are in turmoil, we know that we have absolute hope because God has brought us to himself and he alone is our salvation. So as we go about this life, when we see that we are in desperate need of God, we know that we can go to the living water that is Jesus. And so may we long for that living water of Christ instead of the things that will never satisfy. He is what our souls truly pant for. And he is the only one who can actually bring us joy. The only one who can cure the drought of our souls. So may his word and his spirit spring up these waters within us that we might testify to his steadfast love and his faithfulness to his people. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you that we know the water that is Christ. Because we know that as we face the difficulties of this world, we will understand thirst. We pray, O Lord, that we would not go looking for satisfaction to have our thirst be quenched in anything but you. And may we always, always know that because of the salvation that we have in Jesus, that we can come to you because Christ is interceding for us. And so may we drink from that well, knowing that you are the one who quenches our thirst and satisfies us for eternity. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. For more information about First Reformed Church, head to our Facebook page or website, edgertonfrc.org.